Today, I'm sharing with you my media critique project. So I talk a lot about project-based learning and justice-based learning, and what does that look like in class? We want to create these beautiful projects that are responsive to the needs and interests of our students. Well, today I am sharing with you one that has been a hit from when I taught in high school all the way to my college classes today. This project has often been cited as a student class favorite. So I'm going to walk you through what I do and how I do it today in this episode. Hi, I'm Lindsay Lyons, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. As a former high school and current college professor teaching feminism and media literacy, one of my favorite projects has always been a feminist media critique. Students have consistently cited this project as one of their favorite parts of class. And I like it because it gives students an authentic opportunity to think critically using an intersectional feminist lens about the media they are consuming. As I've spoken about on the podcast before, I backwards plan my curriculum. So I will explain the goal of this unit because the project is the culminating activity of a unit first. Students choose a piece of media. This could be a film, a song, an ad campaign that features a person, an organization, or even more broadly, a genre of music or film that they like and answer this question. Does this piece of media reproduce or interrupt oppression? To support diverse preferences for expression and varied skill sets this year, I invite students to submit their responses as one of the following formats. A video post, which might be about five minutes. I don't like to give definite minimums because I think succinctness is very important in our expression, whether written or oral. I generally find about five minutes is a good amount of time to be succinct and also get through all of the analysis and convey all of the insight that they have on the piece. For video posts, I suggest that students use Adobe Spark Video, Screencastify, or another screen recording software like Loom, or iMovie, if they feel really tech proficient and they're excited about iMovie, maybe they have an iPad or something and they wanna play around with that. I also record tutorial videos for each of these to reduce the burden of the tech aspect themselves. A slideshow is another option for students and one that was very popular this semester for my students. So I recommend about 10 slides there. Although I've seen brilliant and succinct, but very thoughtful analytical slides that are closer to 15 or even 20. A paper, which I recommend be about three pages or so, uh, or another format of students' choice. So they have to run the idea by me first, but things like a podcast or just purely audio 
project would be totally cool uh, or some other sort of art-based conceptual project that I can't even fathom. Students are way more creative than me. And I just want to make sure that's an opportunity for them to share a format that is not something I suggested to them, but would totally make sense and be perhaps the coolest project I've ever seen. So in addition to the overarching question, which again was, does this piece of media reproduce or interrupt oppression? I asked students to share the piece of media they're analyzing. So this might be an image, a link to a video clip. They need to actually share the piece of media with us. And I say us because it's not just me looking at this project, it's other students as well. I always have students submit their projects in a public discussion thread on Google Classroom so that all students can see once they submit their own, their peers' projects, get to learn from them and interact with them. So responding to other students' projects is another piece here of, of the project itself. I also remind students that a high quality analysis does not require an extensive summary of the piece of media. So if they're critiquing a television show, for example, a little background information about the show is helpful prior to analyzing specific scenes, but they don't need to go into depth about every character and every plot twist. It's just not necessary for the purpose of this. And sometimes because we often tell students that regurgitation is good or summarizing is good, that's what they want to do for 50% of the project. And then they just miss out on that analytical piece, which is what we're really trying to teach or what I'm really trying to do in this project is deepen students' skill of criticality or critical thinking or critical consciousness. The other piece of this project is that I ask students, again, in addition to that overarching question, to include thoughtful connections to at least two relevant class texts. So these are some of the assigned readings. And they might be readings. I use the word reading interchangeably with like listening, viewing, because it could be a podcast episode, a film. It could be slides from the class where I had an interactive lecture where I'm talking about a theory that might be relevant. And I also ask students to speak to kind of two sub pieces within this overarching question. So in order to analyze deeply this question of whether the media reproduces or interrupts oppression, they kind of need to know some other specifics. For example, they need to speak to the specific identities portrayed in the piece. Identities include gender, race, sexual orientation, nationality, linguistic culture or language, immigration status, economic social class, all of these different pieces. And we use the lens of Kimberly Crenshaw's notion of intersectionality as well to say that each person has each of these identities. For example, a lot of times my students will say, well, this piece was primarily about race or this piece was primarily about gender. How am I going to talk about any of the other pieces of identity? But we can see the gender expression or the refusal to conform to the expression of the gender binary in whatever human being is part of the media critique. We can see if the media is predominantly about gender, the human beings who are a part of this media have racialized identities. And so who is missing from that? One of the sub-questions here is, does the piece reinforce or challenge stereotypical depictions of individuals and groups? So if we're talking about the piece interrupting oppression, it needs to provide an alternative to what the stereotype often is. It needs to break that stereotype down. It might even call it out 
kind of in relation to Bettina Love's Freedom Dreaming, right? When we think about the expansive dream of possibilities of what is possible when we're critiquing the injustice that's out there, that's what we want to see in a piece that interrupts oppression. If it doesn't do that, it likely reproduces oppression. So I have students kind of think through that question. Does it reinforce or challenge stereotypical depictions? And we think about that again, and through that intersectional analysis, people hold multiple identities, which are on display, which are are subdued or not on display. Um, and what does that choice of displaying or not displaying or you know perpetuating the stereotype or interrupting the stereotype specifically, what does that mean for the larger meaning of the piece? The second question that is a part of answering this overarching question is asking students to speak to the relevant contexts that are related to the piece. This could be historical contexts, socio-political contexts, or economic contexts. And the question that I asked to kind of scaffold this thinking is, does the piece recognize and address socio-political issues and contexts, or does it avoid them and gloss over them? Right? Is there an issue or context that is very clearly relevant if we do some basic analysis, but we're not talking about them, right? It doesn't even mention them. It doesn't make them part of the piece itself. So that's how the project stands in this moment. Now, a note on how this project has changed over time. Historically, when I was teaching high school, particularly, I didn't have one succinct question that really framed the project. Instead, I used all of those scaffolding questions that I just mentioned as kind of three questions that they needed to address within the project. And I think those were helpful. The questions still are helpful. I still use them, but they're really better used as supports to break down the larger question into concrete bites. I talk about a compelling driving question being really essential to an engaging project-based unit. And that's what was missing from this before. Students still thought it was a great project, but from an instructional lens and just seeing, you know, how students were interacting with me via email or asking questions in class, I saw that there were some hiccups around what are you trying to get me to do in this project? And I think that that indicated there was a lack of a clear, compelling driving question. So this one I think is relatively exciting to answer. It encourages students to choose a piece of media that they like and have been consuming. So to be able to critique that or to say specifically how it interrupts oppression can be a powerful draw for students to engage with this project. And it also really asks students to take a clear position. It reproduces oppression, it interrupts oppression, or oftentimes it's both, but we have to be specific in naming exactly how both show up. And so that's kind of an exciting thing to be able to do for students. Now, before students begin working on the project, I tell students how the project will be graded and I use a mastery-based grading system, which specifies from day one what the outcomes of the course are. And so those are the outcomes that students will need to demonstrate mastery of in each project. So again, I use a course-long rubric or a course-long series of outcomes that are present in each of the projects as we do them. And so a student's grade is going to indicate that they are meeting the standard, they've gone above the standard, or they're still approaching the standard. And if they are still approaching the standard or even just meeting the standard, they don't have that above standard or letter grade equivalent of an A yet, I give them opportunities to revise the project after receiving feedback on specific areas for improvement. So that revise and resubmit is a huge uh, course policy for me in terms of grading and assessing for equity. 
So I grouped my course outcomes into three categories, and these are aligned to three of Dr. Goldie Muhammad's four literacy pursuits. I use all four of hers. Three become really relevant, I think, for this project. Criticality. And so these outcomes are really trying to deepen the student's understanding of power, oppression, and justice. So my specific course outcomes here are, I can recognize the ways in which gender and race are socially constructed. I can recognize and describe the structural causes of injustice experienced by members of various identity groups. And the third, I can ask, what about women? And also, which women? So I'm not just asking about gender. I'm asking about the intersection of gender with other identities because it is a gender studies class. So we're not having students assume that every person has a single identity or a single story or a single experience, right? The intersections matter and we need to look at those. So that's part of building that criticality. In the intellect piece, the outcome in this category really wants to build students' ability to apply what they have learned. And so for this specific project, the outcome is I can apply a feminist lens to a conversation, text, event, or issue. Now, two weeks ago on the podcast, I talked about how 50% of my class time with students, my synchronous meeting time is all about the case study. And so this is every single Wednesday that we meet, this is the outcome we're assessing on, or one of the outcomes is I can actually practice applying a feminist lens to a current event that comes up, to a text, an event, a conversation, an issue. So this is also something they've had a lot of practice with prior to the project. And then the skills component of this is really about discourse. It's about discussion with other students. And so my discussion outcome is in written and verbal discussions because they have that online asynchronous piece on the discussion thread in Google Classroom. They're constantly talking there. And then they have the in-class conversation as well. So they can engage with curiosity, own the impact of their words, pause before responding, treat others with dignity, and hold themselves and others accountable. So this kind of package deal of what are discussion norms, or I don't like the word norms, what our discussion agreements are from day one of the class, we agreed to these. That's what we're assessing on as we engage and students post their media critiques for other peers to see. We engage in conversation with one another, give some feedback, ask some questions to push our thinking. We do it in this way. Now to prepare students to engage deeply with this project, right? When we backwards plan, we have to think about how do we get them to a place where they're able to do this well. I assign a bunch of texts for students to, again, read to, listen to, view, if it's a film clip. And these include things like Misrepresentation, a film that was on Netflix up until recently. Beyond Beats and Rhymes, there's some clips from that film online on YouTube, a tough guys clip, again, a clip from the larger film on YouTube, a segment of the code switch podcast, specifically the last segments of one of their podcast episodes called pretty hurts, which is talking about decolonizing beauty, an article called film theory 101, Laura Mulvey, the male gaze theory, and a bell hooks article called the oppositional gaze. They can also pull from different slides. Again, as I said, theory we've talked about in class discussions or interactive lectures from class and the textbook that we use and a lot of other resources, but these are a lot of the big pieces. To that point, during class lessons, I introduce Martha Nussbaum's types of objectification and Leila Said's aspects of white supremacy from her book, Me and White Supremacy. 
Following the introduction of theory, students have a chance to practice analyzing ads and other pieces of media in small groups before undertaking the independent media critique project. So again, they're practicing a lot before they get formally assessed for this for a grade. And I've used images such as Post-its ad where they say, for the little things you'll forget and have a Post-it note on a woman's forehead. Uh, Nando's chicken ad, as well as video clips like Kylie Jenner's Pepsi ad and Johnny Depp's Sauvage Dior ad. I try to choose things that are generally a bit older so that students can choose things that are more relevant to them in this moment. But certainly modern ads that are making uh, you know, headline news could be things you want to bring in and talk about as a whole class um, so that not everyone is doing that particular ad. I also share professional examples of media critiques with students so they can see what a high quality professional level feminist critique looks like. So I've shared one from Anita Sarkeesian on gender tropes in video games. I've shared one on uh, the latest Star Wars films and one on Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's song WAP. Over the years, my students have also analyzed many songs from Beyonce's If I Were a Girl, which is one of the most popular ones to analyze. Pretty Hurts, Maddie and Tay's Girl in a Country Song, advertisements from Old Spice to Hardee's, TV shows like AJ and the Queen and Good Trouble, and news coverage of police shootings. Perhaps the best evidence of this project's success is the positive feedback I receive from students after completing the unit. So as I mentioned, students like this unit a lot, and that's why I've kept it going instead of changing it. Like a lot of the other things that I've done, I've changed over the years, and this one has remained pretty stable. Here's one of the things students said last semester. I learned in the semester about a whole new way of thinking. I never really thought of these kinds of things before this class. Now I put a whole new lens on how I think. I've shared that quote before in a podcast, but this is what it's all about. And this media critique project is one of the things that really brought this to life. And so that's the power of an authentic justice-based assessment. And if you're interested in creating your own feminist media critique unit, you absolutely can do it. I've shared before my backwards planning templates. You can absolutely check that out. But I also want to share with you my freebie for this particular episode, which is my media critique project, the one I am currently using with my college students. This particular document includes the summary that I just walked you through of the task itself. It includes a link to those tutorial videos of students. Do you want to do an Adobe Spark video, a Screencastify, or an iMovie video as a way to submit their media critique project? And it includes links to a bunch of the course texts, as well as the rubric and kind of an FAQ section. How long should it be, right? What if I don't know how to use the tech tools? Here's a reminder of the tech tools tutorials. Can I see examples? So I linked to all those professional examples I mentioned, and I also linked to some student examples. So these are all opportunities that students have to explore what is possible before creating their own document. I'm so excited to hear the media critique projects you come up with. If you adapt this, if you use it in your class, please let me know how it goes. I love learning alongside all of you. Thanks for listening, amazing educators. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Lyons or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. To continue the conversation, you can head over to our Time for Teachership Facebook group and join our community of educational visionaries. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Thank you.